Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. And today we're fortunate to have uh, a friend of mine, Hanan Landa, is joining us. And a little bit of background for Hanan today is he's the founder and CEO of Optimal Networks Incorporated, a globally ranked IT services firm. After earning his bachelor's of science and his master's of science in electrical engineering and computer science from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, he went on to receive his MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Featured in Legal Management, Legal Times, Chief Executive, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, CIO, and with regular appearances on a number of the local Washington, D.C. television stations. Hanan is considered to be an expert and a trusted leader in the legal technology, business spaces, environment, providing IT services to law firms for nearly three decades. He's the author of a book just released called The Modern Law Firm, How to Thrive in an Era of Rapid Technological Change. If you want to learn more about Hanan and his business, go to OptimalNetworks.com. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, Hanan. It's great to see you again. Thank you, Greg. I'm thoroughly embarrassed and blushing uh, for, with that amazing introduction. <laughs> well, that's the whole purpose of intros like that. It does uh, make us sound so powerful, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You know, you, uh, a little background. You and I have known each other for surprisingly now well over 25 years. And that's, that is that's surprising. Just, that's just crazy. Yeah, I, met you when I, was, I, I met you when I was three. <laughs> oh, I could go back. There's so many places I could go with that comment, but I won't. So, but you've done a remarkable job and I've always been in awe of your business and how you run things and be able to have fun. And the entry part, if you haven't noticed by now, folks, Hanan loves to have fun. He can joke and everything else, but don't let that fool you. He's an incredible business executive running the business from starting at Wharton right out of school. So that was different. I, if I remember one of our conversations a few years ago, you had said that most of the people, if not all of the people that you graduated from Wharton with, went to work for other companies before starting their own business. But you went out right on your own. Why did you do that? Well, it's a good question. Uh, so my, my graduating class at Wharton had like over 700 people in it and um, maybe 750. And there were two people, including myself, who went immediately to start their own businesses. Um, and Wharton at the time, now this was, I mean, I graduated in 91. Wharton at the time was probably second only to Stanford in being an entrepreneurial um, or an entre having an entrepreneurship program. Okay. So, so I think it was a little surprising, uh, but I had wanted to start my own business because my, for, for many, many years, that was actually why I went to Wharton. I really wanted to start to learn how and start my own business. My parents had their own business. And so ever since I was, I don't even remember, maybe seventh grade or fifth grade or something like that, the whole conversation in my parent in my home over dinner was what it was all business all the time, you know, and I found it absolutely fascinating. And even though my mom insisted that I get a good engineering degree as a sort of a basic uh, right. 
I don't know, training, if you will. So I would have a career to fall back upon. That's what mothers do, by the way. And I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I, I was always fascinated by the management piece of it, by the leadership piece of it. Even when I did have a full-time job um, before business school, it was the leadership and management piece that, that fascinated me much more than the computer science and electrical engineering. So I wrote the business plan for Optimal Networks at Wharton and left Wharton and started the company literally in a room in an office inside my parents' office. Awesome. So it wasn't in a garage like they do in uh, Silicon Valley. It was just no, I was a step up. I figured I would, I would use the resources I had at hand. <laughs> uh, and you also had a little heating and cooling and some of the other amenities then. It was very helpful and a water fountain. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so Optimal Networks has grown over the years and you've uh, tweaked the business a little bit. And one of the challenges, of course, is leading. So when you're leading one or two, and when you first started, you had a, a small handful of employees, mm -hmm. you know, just two, three, four, five employees. And over the years, that's changed. How many do you employ right now? Well, now we have uh, about 43 people. Okay. 43 people uh, on the payroll. And would you say they're all exactly the same style of personality? I would say they're all across the board. Exactly. Yeah. How do you change? How do you find the ability to change your leadership and work with people that are extremely anal retentive versus very gregarious? Because you fit both of those spectrums very, very well, or what I call sometimes a confused person. Thanks. <laughs> That's about right. Look, you have to evolve your leadership style, right? So there's, there is just the concept of continuous learning. You've got to keep, you got to keep learning. You have to know from the get go that you don't know anything. And that was really driven home to me right at the beginning of, of starting my business. And when you come out of Wharton business school, Wharton is a great name and it's a great business school. It's a great program. I can go on for hours on how much I value that education. And I came out of Wharton on top of the world. I was convinced, convinced that anything I put my mind to, I could get. Like there was no, there was no, I mean, wow, this business plan I wrote, it was just going to materialize because I was that good. And you immediately get, especially as a, as a new entrepreneur, you get your, you know, Am I allowed to say it? You get your ass handed to you, right? You like, you're, you just like, look, you're nothing. You it's just very humbling. What? It is very humbling to come into the business world and realize that you, for all your achievements on education, are absolutely nothing in the business world. And that was driven home to me really hard. And you'll, you'll appreciate this of all people, um, because it put me in a huge depression. I mean, I was, I was, um, you know, a couple years into trying to run this business, I didn't know what I was doing. I was losing money. I was in debt. I was, um, it was very difficult. And I was trying to figure out what, what was I going to do? I was, I was in probably a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Right. And I did not know, um, how I was going to get out of it. And, and just to add sort of emphasis to it, I came home that day that I added up all my debt and was moping. Um, and Melissa, my wife, uh, handed me a tie. And it was one of those save the children ties with all the little kids stacked I up. I remember, on it. yes. 
Yes. And and she gave me a card and she said, "Congratulations, you're going to be a daddy." <laughs> and if you want to talk about one of those defining moments in life where you sit around and you say, "Holy cow, I've not really been successful at this business thing. What am I going to do? Am I going to throw in the towel? Am I going to continue to try to fix this?" And I did one of those ben- sort of uh, Benjamin Franklin things where you put all the pros and all the cons on one side. And I said, and I decided that I really wanted to make the business work. And that the one thing I did not know how to do was sell. And I said, how how do you learn how to sell? I got to learn. How do I learn to do this? Well, you know how to learn. You've just been in school for, I don't know how many years. Go pick up books, go get tapes, books on tape, go get what you need. By the way, you're defining your age when you say books on tape. You're not even at CDs, much less than MP3. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that is actually when I got introduced to some of these um, sales experts and motivational experts like like Zig Ziglar, which you and I share. We've talked about him for years, yes. You know, and and he also always preached the continuous learning concept. And that's why you just have to evolve. You have to keep reading, you have to keep learning, you have to keep adjusting your leadership style over and over and over again as you grow, as you shift with the business. And that's so true. And again, we've talked many times about Zig and the power that he brings to the table uh, from both a, and I'm assuming in your aspect like mine, very much of a mentor relationship, even though it was never formally a mentor-mentee relationship. Of course. We learn from that, and that's, that's powerful. So as you got your business off the ground and you learned you're going to be a dad, how did you start to evolve your leadership? Okay, we know that the sales was something you had to learn, so you learned the sales side. What did you next do? What was the next step in getting to be a leader and make sure that you're not the dictatorial leader. You're not the fallback high, friendly bud leader. What did you do? How did you find that balance? Um, so there's, you know, a lot of it is just like learn, is learning by doing. But I, I'll tell you some of the, the themes that, that sort of went through my, my career as, a, as I evolved it. One is when you have a small number of people and you're all in one place, you can do what I call or maybe it was you who called it, hey, you leadership, right? <laughs> you can go around and, and you can look over someone's shoulder or you can listen to, to the other side of a phone call and mm-hmm. you can just say, you know, that's not how I would talk to the client. This is how I would talk to the client. Or you can make adjustments. When you're mm-hmm. someone like me who, for all my joking around, I'm, I am rather anal retentive and I do like things in a very specific way, especially when it comes to client relations. And when it comes to marketing, I'm trying to get across a very specific tone. Um, And I'm trying to do things even from a very engineering point of view. And, you know, that also involves a lot of control. So, hey, you leadership didn't work very well for me because I ended up getting a lot of people upset. So what I learned to do was to to back off and to figure out a way to trust people uh, more. And that May, had what I'm trying to say, because of that, I had to have really good people. So mm-hmm. this was like like an epiphany for me. Um, probably in around around 2003, we instituted a, a phone screen uh, for the people that we hired, and this phone screen was actually 
based on the technology, uh, same technology used by the Ritz-Carlton. I don't know if you call it technology, but they're using methodology. the same methodology used by uh, the Ritz-Carlton to find their um, service people. And we started using that. And it's a very interesting phone screen that has all sorts of questions. They're open-ended questions and you're looking for certain matches. And when you come out the other side of this, of this test, this phone screen, you really know whether that person shares your values. So we flipped the company into a, into a values-driven organization. Mm -hmm. We got our top three values. Those are, we just, we live and die by those things. Right. And then we hire people to those values. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded with people who I could trust because one of our top values is tell the truth. And I have, I have screened people for that. And then we got do the right thing and everyone benefits. And it's a certain way of looking at life and at business that, boy, if you're in that circle, it, it feels really good. And that helped me change my leadership style to one of more trust, one of more delegation. And that's probably, you hit on one key factor that you and I've talked about before, and I can't stress how important it is. And I kind of want you to go into this just a little bit more. You've already hit it a little, but share with us, if you would, Optimal Network's top three values, the, your core values. Sure. So um, the first one is tell the truth, which is a nice way of saying don't lie. <laughs> yep, exactly. Right. And there's, listen, there's enough, uh, enough difficulty in business that, you know, when you're dealing with outsiders, you don't know who can, you can trust, you can't trust. You want to trust the people you work with. Of course, that goes for clients. Of course, that goes for your advisors. But my God, does it go for the people who are in your company and you want to work with on a daily basis? Right. You, you need to know that they're going to tell you when it's bad and they're going to tell you when it's good and that you have that you can really act on real information. Okay. So you're not just talking about tell the truth to a customer. You're talking about tell the truth back to you as the CEO yeah. and tell it to their boss. So we've got that truth. So what you're actually building right now is something I refer to in my trainings as vulnerability trust. Yes. And letting yourself be vulnerable, letting each other be vulnerable so they can tell that level of truth without a fear of retribution. Yep. Okay. In fact, the, the fear of retribution is the opposite. Yes, exactly. We, if, we, if you are caught in a lie in a professional context, you're gone. And, and we've always said this. You could be the most important person in the company and the most important project in the company. You lie, you're done. There's no, there's no, second no, chance. There's no second chances. It's not a thing. It's Have a, you had to use that? Have you had to do it? A couple of times. Yeah. And it was uh, very difficult. And, mm -hmm. and we still did it. So we got to tell the truth. What's your second core value? Uh, do the right thing. Okay. It is not the Nike, just do it. It is, it is, it is do the right thing. Right. And, and doing the right thing is uh, very, uh, it, it gets difficult sometimes. Um, but you, most of us usually know what's right and what's wrong. If we screwed up for a client, we have to make it right. That's a do the right thing sort of situation. And if it costs us out of pocket, it costs us out of pocket. And that's the end of the story. Okay. Right? It's a moral compass sort of thing. Okay. And this is really key because to tell the truth, my father um, used to use an expression. He says, you know, if you tell a lie, then you got to remember two. And he says, it's hard enough to remember one. 
right. know, so that approach. So you're mm -hmm. telling the truth and now we're doing what's doing the right thing. Uh, it's not doing what you want to hear. It's not doing what the customer wants to hear. It's yeah. doing the right thing all the way across the board. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, we have, we have a cloud service uh, called virtual desktops that about a third of our clients are in. And um, it's a really wonderful service. It actually, especially during this pandemic was a complete rock star. I'm really proud of it. About uh, in October, October timeframe, we were moving. Let's, let's put this in context. We're talking October of 2019 now. October of 2019. Okay. Um, call it six months ago. We were, we were moving clients from an old version of this cloud service to a new version of this cloud service. And we were moving pretty fast because we were under some deadlines and we were trying to move the clients in as quickly as possible. We had a whole slew of clients. We had over 700 people in this environment and we were trying to move them as quickly as possible into the new environment that we created. That was better and more bionic and faster and all this. Well, it turns out it had some issues and the clients were screaming. Like we, we were not doing a good job. We, we, the clients were not happy after they had been moved. And it was sort of a delayed effect. For the first week, they'd be happy, but then second or third week, all sorts of issues would start surfacing in the new environment. And we got about, we moved about eight clients in, maybe about a hundred people. And um, three of my phenomenal employees got on a Zoom call just like this with me. And they said, look, we have to stop. We've got to stop the pace of these migrations. We're doing two every weekend. We, we can't do that and also make the clients that we've put into this new situation happy. Um, and I said, but the cost and this and that. And, and they said to me, if we keep doing this, we're going to lose the clients. The right thing to do is to put a timeout on this fix all the problems, figure out how to do it properly, and then restart it. And that was a really tough decision. There were a lot of ramifications. And there was a lot of ramifications for them to, to come in and say it to us. But I was thrilled. These were people, these were keepers of the culture. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Like across the board. And I thanked them for it hardcore because that's what we did. We immediately paused all the migrations took two, three months, got our act together and restarted them and they're going smooth as silk now. And that's what's interesting because years ago you had mentioned to me that when you talked about your core values, and we're gonna to get to your third one in a minute, but when we talked about core values, you said any time that there's a questionable decision about what to do or what not to do, you go back to your core values Every and time. you make decisions based on those. Every time. Talk about, and so let's get to your third core value and then talk about that aspect. Okay, so the third core value actually has turned out to be one of the most interesting core values we have. Um, it's everyone benefits. And the idea behind everyone benefits is that anyone who we interact with, anyone who we at Optimal interact with, whether it's an employee, whether it's a stakeholder, whether it's a client, whether it's a vendor, whether, I don't know, anybody, an advisor, um, anyone who comes into our orbit, we want them to be better for the experience. And that is just how we operate. So it's a, it's a, very, it's a very interesting one 
because, you know, we've had vendors come to us and say, I can't believe how quick you, you guys are to pay our bills. I'm like, yeah, that's just part of what we do. Like, why, why would we hold the money for extra if we have it, we can pay you, you know, mm-hmm. that's just a small example. I could I could talk about that forever, but I'm trying to hold myself back on that one. <laughs> and that's that's key. So I want to go back now and understand. So let's repeat the three core values: is tell the truth, do the right thing, and everybody wins. Everyone benefits. Yeah. Everyone benefits. Okay, everyone benefits. Those are your three. Have they changed over the years, or have they been the same? They have been the same. Okay. How did you come up with those originally? Did you involve the team? How did you get your core values? I wish I could say I did, but um, I had a partner back around the year 2000, who sat and thought about this a lot and distilled the way we behaved down to those, those uh, core values. And okay. he, did a, he did a great job with that. And we've really been able to, because it's just who we were, right? Because I always believed that, that, core, that values are really more, for entrepreneurs are more a journey of self-discovery. Because you have to, who are you as a human, right? right. And how does that, how is that reflected in your organization? And those, those are the values. Yeah. It comes back to what's your purpose and coming back into that philosophy. And that, that's really powerful. So when you're getting folks engaged and you're looking to hire people and everybody's there, how, how do you impose impart the knowledge of these values and how important they are to everybody so that everybody starts to work it, even when you're not there, if you're on a vacation, if you're at client meetings, how do, how do you get them to take that control at that time? So the values is part of everything we do. It really is. Um, it's not just that we hire for the values, so that phone screen actually goes to some of the values and to the cultural fit. But um, we, we talk about those values on an ongoing basis. We, um, David, who is my uh, COO and partner, he, he plays a game. The first, the first all-company meeting where with new employees, he quizzes them on the values. So their, their managers are already prepping them for this, and their teammates are saying, look, when, you, when we do this first company meeting, and it doesn't matter, we've been doing them virtually to have 45 little checkboxes on your screen, little Hollywood squares on your screen yep, or whatever. Exactly. He goes, when you, in your first company meeting, you better be ready. You better know those values. Right. And so they're all, they're all ready. And we, they come back around, they come back around informally. They come back around formally. We, you know, you asked me if I ever had to fire anyone based on the values and we have, mm-hmm. you know, we, we also use um, EOS. If you've heard of it, it's a, it's a management blueprint. And one of the things that they say is you have to lay out your, your core values and your core behavioral traits. And when you're evaluating people in the organization, you plug them right into those values and those traits. And that fit perfectly with what we've been doing instinctively forever. And that's key because we've got to make sure people fit with the values of the organization. Um, Does that sometimes lead to hiring people who are, excuse the expression here, a little mini use? I don't think so. I, I haven't found many people like me. <laughs> I'll second that remark. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, in fact, it, it does the opposite. So for, for our, because values, values don't discriminate, right? I mean, values are not, 
you're not going to values are just values, right? So right. anyone can have those kinds of values. So when we hire, we look for two things. We look for cultural fit, right? Which includes the values is probably 85 to 90% of that. And we look for actual talent, right? So we're checking for technical talent. We're checking for customer service talent. We're checking for whatever we're doing for leadership talent, whatever position we're hiring for. We want someone who's talent. And these things are all, um, blind to who the person you know the what am i trying to say the gender is blind to the gender of the person is blind to the race of the person is blind to all that stuff so we have actually because we're focusing on those things we have actually ended up with probably one of the most diverse workforces i've ever been part of and that is phenomenal because we get so many different ideas and thoughts and perspectives that it really makes it very nice and powerful. Because the values are the values and the ideas support the values. Right. And that, that's key. Now, one of the other things that you have done over the years, and I, I'll not remember the name of what you call it, but twice a year you get your entire organization together, you shut the office down. And what do you call that again? We call that our spirit day. Spirit, spirit day. day. Yeah. And tell everybody about spirit day and how, how it came about. So Spirit Day is a, is a wonderful thing, and, and it's exactly like you say. We literally shut the office down two days a year, usually one in the fall and one in the summer or spring or summer. And uh, that's very unusual for a service company, first of all, to do that. And, um, and it's also very expensive, right, because you're giving up billable time and, and what have you. However, it really provides us a chance to get together as a company and connect. And in the fall, it's a little bit more professional. So we take the morning and we usually work on company strategy and any areas of weakness that we need to shore up. And, um, and then the afternoon, we'll usually go play. And we've done everything from bowling to escape rooms to, um, I, I don't even know what, it's been crazy. The, the summer one, the spring and summer one, um, it's more playing. It's, it's actually just more playing, call it team building, if you will. Mm -hmm. But we have taken over an amusement park. We have done the Iron Chef challenges. We have done obstacle courses. We have done, um, what are they called? I can't remember. Scavenger hunts. That was it. All okay. over Washington, okay. D.C. I and mean, we've done just about everything and anything. And except for skydiving. <laughs> but as you that's can tell, it's a team sport now. Yeah, it, it's on my brain. <laughs> but, um, you know, that has really allowed us to bond. It's really allowed us to emphasize the values to everyone. It's allowed everyone to contribute to the business and where it's going and how it's going to get there. Um, and it has been nothing but, but positive. You mentioned, and you were getting ready to talk about Spirit Day, is it's extremely expensive. I might argue that it's not expensive. I mean, it costs money up front, but it's a reinvestment. Am I right? A hundred percent. You couldn't have said it better. Yeah. It's, it's a total reinvestment. And that's one thing that uh, many, many organizations fail to see is they've got to reinvest in their, in their people. And by doing that, they, they make the place exciting and fun to work. And would you say that most of the folks at Optimal are excited about coming in? Do they enjoy their jobs? So look, I, I have a little bit of bias being at the top, but we have a really great time together. 
Mm-hmm. We, and for our spirit days, and I don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic and everything, but our for our spirit days, we fly people in, we put them up, we make sure that everyone is physically together, if at all possible. Okay, because you are you're across multiple states now, am I right? Yeah. And so bringing them in, you're right, the expense, but it brings the values start to come into play that way. How do your customers feel about a day if they need something done? How do they feel not being able to get hold of you? Well, you know, we, we come up with ways that if they absolutely need to get hold of us, you know, we don't leave them in the lurch. It's exactly it's still an everyone benefit situation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we actually usually hold our fall spirit day on Columbus Day because um, many of our clients are closed on Columbus Day. Okay. Um, and um, and so that reduces the, the call volume and everything. We've we've made arrangements with um, partner companies to help cover for us in the past. So we, we, we'll find, we find a way to take care of the clients. That's but just we, a key factor. I want to make sure that you're not letting the client fall through a crack. Everyone has to benefit. <laughs> Back to the, absolutely. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how have you changed over the last 10, 15 years, even before the COVID pandemic, how have you changed your leadership uh, in what you've done as Optimal has grown? I know you've also done some mergers and things like that. How's that all changed? Um, you know, I probably the, the biggest thing that, that has changed with me is that we have put together a really, really strong leadership team. And this is a challenge for a long time, but, um, it's, for me, it's a lot easier to, I don't know about easier. It's a different style of leadership mm-hmm. to work with a, a, have a leadership team with you, um, because a lot of my natural leadership is modeling rather than directing. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So um, to have people around me that can see what I'm doing and how I do it and can take that and spread that out to their teams is probably one of the best things that has happened to me in, in the organization and has given me the real feeling that we can scale. Right, because once you can scale your your leadership and your leadership style, then um, you know, then you can really grow a lot better. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, it definitely does because getting the leadership team, understanding you're not doing it all, and that was a key factor for you. Yeah, you know, because otherwise you'll just run yourself into the ground, and I've that's been, that's. I've that's, done that. It's very exciting. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so one last thing I want to kind of get into here is about changing leadership. In the last several months, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and everybody working from home, mm-hmm. being a technology company, you've probably already been somewhat scaled to doing some of that, but you still have to go to client sites, I'm assuming, from time to time. How are you handling that? How has your leadership changed there? How has the team been able to handle all that? So, so there's a lot there. That's a, that's a huge, big pot of questions, and I'm going to answer them all because I actually have, have a lot of answers for that. Um, so, so listen, I don't, I don't know if it's because of the industry that I'm in, the IT industry, which is very equipped to handle crises, or whether just entrepreneurs as a whole are used to dealing with um, all sorts of different situations and difficult situations. And, well, let's and be have, clear. You're an entrepreneur, but the rest of the folks on the team may not be. Could be. Okay. But, but this entire pandemic um, – actually in a strange way energized me 
and energized my leadership skills. Um, and I became very incredibly motivated. I was consuming a lot of information very quickly. And I was able to, because, and this is the real credit to my team, which I just can't explain to you how thankful I am. Our clients did not suffer almost across the board. When they picked up and they went remote, their technology did very well, very, very well. We were, we were ready for this from a technology point of view. We had been talking to our clients about remote work for years and years, and they, were, they had already benefited from it a lot. We were already ready for it. So internally, it was also not a problem. We also had people ready to work from, from home. So it was just really it was getting accustomed to doing it every day. That was the right. that was the kicker, and that wasn't easy, and we're still probably not there. But from a leadership point of view, I began working on multiple fronts, and I realized that this sort of situation calls for a different, a bit of a different style of leadership, a bit of a more direct style of leadership, because everyone is usually busy working on their own piece of the of the machine, mm-hmm. and someone has to zoom out and look at the machine as a whole and say, "All right." We have to communicate. We have to lean into our clients. We have to communicate with our clients. We have to make sure our clients are okay. Right. You're in charge of that. You got to do that. Here's the message you need to be giving them. Let's get that started. Now we have to communicate with our employees. We have to worry about what they're doing and they're, and are they anxious and can they work and all the things that you need to worry about the employee. Right. And who can I delegate that to? And what are we trying to say to them and, and do that. And then you have to look at the business right? The business itself. Is our product offering correct? Do we need to introduce another product offering given the fact that everyone is working from home? By the way, the answer was yes. And inside of about a week, we introduced a work from home security service. The the security challenges with everyone picking up from the office and working at home, you have a 50 person company working in a secure office and all of a sudden you pick them all up and take them home. You got 50 insecure Network. home networks. Yep. So we quickly introduced a work from home security service, right? And then organizing all that and getting it out there. And then realizing that a lot of your clients were having the same challenges about um, how are they going to keep their culture together when they're remote, right? How are they going to work with their employees remotely? And what information, how can we help it's a pandemic. You want to help as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. This is not a fun time. So we were able to, in short order, put out webinars and information and work from home ideas and blogs and content and whatever we could to sort of pick up the, the general knowledge of, of, our, of our, call it our micro community. Okay to deal with what was happening. So I don't know if you could tell just by the way I got sort of excited about it right now, but that really the, the whole idea of being able to contribute and and being able to synthesize all this information and direct the organization in a positive way um that, i guess that's what i've been doing for the past eight weeks <laughs> there's no doubt and that's that's powerful because it's and you're right we could hear it in your voice the energy level starts to get up and i'm the same way uh, with the pandemic i've actually gotten more energized about my business and the way things can change and that's really a great feeling for people. Um, you know, it's difficult for many, mm-hmm. but we've got to learn, you know, how we do it. So, and staying motivated is a part of that. How are you staying motivated personally 
through all this? I know that the new changes have really got you energized, but how are you staying motivated right now? So with me, it's more of a question of making sure that I keep taking care of myself personally, mm -hmm. because I am liable to sit here and work 24 hours a day. So we, I, can't, I can't do that. I will actually run myself into the ground. Um, I have been very, very lucky that my daughter is here with us and she has been cooking every day. Not only has she been cooking every day, but she has been walking outside every single day, multiple times a day. She comes downstairs and she drags me off of my computer screen and we go for walks and walks and walks. Mm -hmm. So not only am I eating right, but I'm because of her, thank, thank, it was wonderful, but she's also taken me outdoors, which is wonderful. And my son who is also home is a workout fiend, which I am too, and he is dragging me into workouts every day. So between those things, I'm keeping myself very centered. And I think that that's important. In fact, I realized last week that I need to make sure the rest of my company is doing something similar. Mm -hmm. So starting this Thursday, we've got a walking challenge, or is it Monday? We have a walking challenge, a one month walking challenge that we're doing across the whole company. Awesome. You know. I just um, had another interview on the Teamwork Advantage with a physical therapist, mm. and we talked with Kelsey um, about, you know, posture sitting and things like that, and things like stagnant hypoxia setting in, you know, by sitting on your butt a little too long at the desk and getting up. So what you're talking about is powerful, and it, it plays with the mind, but, and there are some people who will tell you that that's foo-foo, and there's neuroscience behind all this that it's not, and that's really key. Yeah. Hey, listen, we've spent a lot of time talking today, a little longer than we normally do on the Teamwork <laughs> Advantage. But then again, you and I can sit down and go for hours. I know I, that. we have. I didn't, realize, I didn't realize it was over. <laughs> I could have kept going. <laughs> we'll have you back again on the Teamwork Advantage. But tell us a little bit real briefly about your book. I see it oh. there. It's called The Modern Law Firm. Who's that written for? Well, I just threw it here in the sand for everyone to see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, you know, and by the way, this was another question. Do you release a book in the middle of a pandemic? Does that make sense to do? Um, this book was about two to three years in the making, and it was specific uh, for uh, firm administrators and managing partners of law firms. Actually, any attorney and anyone working in a law firm would probably benefit from this. And I have now had people tell me that, it, uh, that even if you're just in any professional services, you might benefit from what what is in this book because let's be clear it's not about legal advice it's not about being a lawyer it's about the technology side of the law firm yeah and it's it's probably even more interesting than that it's about the fact that technology is coming at us really 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 fast and even faster and how can you get a grip on on where you are with all your technology and instead of drowning in it find a way to thrive and make it a competitive advantage for you yeah, not just tread water, but thrive. Yeah. And how can they get hold of the modern law firm? Ah, well, it's on Amazon in every format under the sun. I even had a blast doing the audible version. See, I am, I am hip. It's not a book on tape. It's audible. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so they can find it on Amazon or they can go to modernlawfirmbook.com. All right. And again, it's optimalnetworks.com. If you want to look up to Hainan's business itself directly. Um, We've been a long version of the Teamwork Advantage. I'm excited to have him here. We'll maybe bring him back again and talk about something else. Maybe a little bit of the background in the uh, ocean or bay, I guess, it's behind him there. But we'll have some fun. 
Uh, hey, Don, thank you very, very much. As always, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, thank you everybody, much. remember the philosophy. Do not have a good day. Because when you have a good day, you're only having an average day. And you're not average. Take care. We'll see you next time on the Teamwork Advantage. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.